the feathers. They look tasty. That's hilarious. <laughs> Every peacock feather I see is a decoration. I think that's a victory. That's it. You get a meal and a ball gown out of it. Out of the deal. <laughs> you can only convince people that you know, they're healthier than turkey. You should really try it. That should be the new Thanksgiving. Party. Right. <laughs> the new meat meat. <clears throat> You're so welcome. So we start with questions, or do you? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I told these guys that I'm only going to ask questions about about Shemp and the Three Stooges. Oh, excellent. I'm not going to ask you any other questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the one near and dear to my heart. I was just talking about that last night because we shot in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Mel Gibson produced that, right? Right. Yeah. And and not only that, it's like that uh, parts of Sydney and the coastline there it looks like. Uh, you know, out in Malibu and L.A. back in the day. Yeah. In fact, I was talking with um, uh, 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 Kent McCord, and he was talking about how he had been in Australia. He said he couldn't believe how much it looked like, you know, that part of L.A. back in the day, and, you know, the, the beach areas and the small little areas that were cropping up, you know, outside the city there. But uh, they even had old vaudeville house where we could shoot our vaudeville stuff. But we, we shot that. Uh, literally flew the day after the millennium kicked off in in uh, Sydney. That's January, February, March for them is their summer. So it was, you know, great to be in Sydney Harbor. You know, literally, I looked out my uh, my apartment building that you know uh, that they gave me was an awesome apartment. Just there's the opera house. You know, had a lot of time off on. You know, the QE 2s parked out in the harbor. You know, part of the time. You know, you know, and, the, and that kind of thing. So that was kind of fun. Um, but, uh, what a great opportunity to play a character, you know, that I grew up with. And I, I, I mean, as kids, we always loved Curly because he was so childlike, but Shemp was always the one that made me laugh the most. He was always just kind of, he went to such odd places. He was such a strange neurotic guy. I got, I, we had access to, uh, family members and that kind of thing, which was kind of cool. And, um. You know, obviously, Michael Chiklis was very good at, at you know, as, as playing Curly, and, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> and, and Evan did a great job, and so did Paul. So we were the only actors they brought over from the U.S., and they had a great group of Australian and, and New Zealand actors playing the other parts. And uh, we just had a great time bringing those characters to life about halfway through shooting. ABC liked the footage so much they were talking about releasing it as a feature film, and uh, I think... Uh, um, you know, uh, Mel and the other producers were uh, leery of that because normally if you're going to produce a feature film, they want to be able to market it with, you know, some stars or some history or something. Um, and uh, so they were afraid that it would, you know, be released and not the amount of people that would see it that, that they expected to see it as a TV movie, which, um, you know, that's kind of gone to the wayside a lot, except on Lifetime and those kind of channels there you know I used to love those money you know like certain movies especially some of the biopics um, but that was <clears throat> based on a book that was the only authorized biography of the of the uh, three stooges at the time I don't know if there's more now but so it was great to have that as our uh, as our template and um, I don't know if you know um, William Fra uh, not William Frawley not from Lucy uh, uh, Jim Frawley 
who was our director, James Frawley, uh, you know, directed the Muppet movie and a bunch of other interesting stuff. He had started out as a Broadway actor back in the day. So he had a real sense of the performer side of these uh, uh, characters as well as the uh, intimate, you know, personalities of the characters. So it was a lot of fun. I originally auditioned for Curly. You know, people have seen pictures of me. I mean, not Curly, I'm sorry, Sh uh, Larry. Larry. I'm losing my brain. It's, it's early for me. <laughs> I, how are you? And um, I had all that curly hair, you know, and they, they, they go, oh, you make a great Larry, you know, I could, I could, I could wind with the best of them. So, uh, you know, I came in and they were like, you know, we got, we got a couple of good choices for Larry and we, we can't find our shampoo. We just think that you'd be great. Would you, you know, do a little thing for us? So I, you know, got, you know, stringy wig and you know I, I it wasn't a very good one so i put on a cap you know with the hair hanging down and i came in with with my best shemp and i came in and i uh you know brought some uh brought the humanity that i thought that the character would have did a little research found out he was kind of a neurotic guy he was afraid to sleep in hotels because he hated bed bugs he was afraid of the animals so we'd have them put up like sheets of glass they didn't have plexiglass back then so they put glass between him and the animals because he was you know you couldn't see it on yeah. camera but it you know made him more comfortable and you know he was an interesting guy but uh it was funny because all the all the uh the women on the set were like oh you know like ship's kind of like the sexy stooge <laughs> i was like <laughs> never really thought of him that way i guess i didn't have the pockmarked face for it but you know but uh, i was like i'll take that i'll take that <laughs> you had some great uh I love the dichotomy of you in the boxing scene, mm. and you have that the whole scene with the comedy, and then right afterwards the tomato ketchup line, where you right. just get you know you can see that torment. Just a little, on your face. yeah, just a little piece of his not really wanting to be there, and and the years of being smacked around by Ted Healy, and you know uh, a lot of people don't know that Shemp was you know he and Mo were the original Stooges prior to the, to, to the Stooges that we know because those Stooges you know. Is, or what we saw on television, which were, which of course were originally two reelers. Um, those, uh, those movies were, um, uh, you know, they had always hoped to break into the, you know, main features the way that Abbott and Costello were. And, uh, uh, you know, the Stooges agent was like friends with Harry Cohn. So he was like working over at 20th century as well. So they were kind of like, you know, uh, He's like, no, you know, we'll be the blue plate special. You know, he would be put him even in the front of our bad movies. That way, everybody will come at least see the Stooges and stay for the bad movie. You know, <laughs> so uh, you know they they weren't by any stretch of the imagination poor or you know. Although Lowry did have a reputation for spending all his money at the track, you know, women and that kind of thing. I don't think he ever owned a home. You know, um, but uh, you know Mo and Champ and uh, you know I mean they they they. You know, put their families together, and they had you know their families and that kind of thing. But they never really felt like they had that opportunity. Of course, once the uh, uh, the you know they didn't have residuals back then. So once the the, sh the movies went to television, they didn't see a dime of it. Uh, I think they sold like the whole library to uh, CBS or one of the new TV stations for like twenty twelve million dollars, which was a huge amount of money back then. And um, <clears throat> they didn't see a dime of it, but it, it launched, uh, you know, a second career for them being able to go out on the road and perform live for people in their hometowns, which is kind of the way that music is done these days. 
you know, because everybody lifts music and, and, you know, the way that music is available to everybody, they don't make so much money on, on their recordings anymore. So it's just a setup for them to charge a lot of money to go, you know, tour and do uh, music. So <clears throat> conventions have kind of become that for us too, you know. Um, some of the older shows, some of the, you know, stuff like Tales from the Crypt, which, you know, wind up on Sci-Fi Network and these kind of things, they don't have a lot of you know, residual base to them uh, because the licensing fees aren't that high. But, um, you know, it's fun to be able to come and see the fans face to face. People are like, well, you know, spend a lot of time on social media. I go, no, I go see the fans. You know, I go spend time with them. I perform for them. I have fun. You know, to me, you know, I come from the theater and I come from doing stand up. So t to me, that's the way to do it. I really enjoy doing that. Yeah. <clears throat> You have a lot of detail, I mean, around the three stages. Do you, do you approach every project you do like that, where you, you really get into the research? Um, you know, I love the research part of it. Of course, you know, back in the day, you used to have to go to the library or something. Now, of course, I can, you know, Siri, <laughs> you know, yeah. how tall was Shemp? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, things have changed dramatically, and I, I love that about I mean, I use the computer more for that kind of thing than anything else. Um, and, uh, you know, finding out about different people. I mean, you don't always get to play historical characters. So, um, and as you get older, they expect you to put more of your own habits and your own kind of personality into your on-camera roles just because you are more of a character actor. When I was a younger actor, um, I found myself playing all kinds of wacky characters, but I probably didn't really know myself as well. So I didn't know how to plug as much of myself, or I didn't believe that I was interesting enough. You know, it's like, oh, I'll make the guy honk, and I'll make the guy, you know, uh, skip when he walks. You know I mean? I'll do yeah, that kind of stuff, yeah. because that's what I grew up with, <laughs> you know, watching the Three Stooges, you know. Obviously, guys like the Coen brothers watched the Three Stooges and had a really good time, too. Um, is there another topic we want to cover before we, uh, you know, uh, Stooges is a great place to go. Oh, yeah. I no, I was just going to ask you about yeah. your, your, your process when it comes to your voice acting. You know, what, what is your personal profit, you know? It's, you, you know, it changes, it changes up because sometimes you're, you know, you not only get a script, sometimes you don't get a script even. You know, when I went in an audition to play Miko the raccoon, they're like, come on in, John. I'm like, well, I haven't seen the copy. They go, there's no copy. It was a huge room full of storyboards. So we just went around the room bringing to life the little storyboards of me. And I grow, and I live in an area where it's, there's a bunch of raccoons and stuff. So I'm like, okay, here's a raccoon, uh, you know, fighting. <laughs> Here's them fucking, you know, I'm doing like the whole thing, you know, and they're laughing and I'm like, I've either offended the shit out of them and I'm not, you know, yeah. I think they, they had given me the job and I didn't know about it for like six months, you know, and my agents, there's nobody told me that I got the part. And they called and they go, well, you're going to start doing the sessions for, for Pocahontas. I was like, what? I got it? They go, yeah, you had it, got it like months ago. I was like, nobody told me, <laughs> you know, so that was kind of fun and obviously, um, you know, I was just bringing life experience to that, but sometimes you have very specific scripts, you have very specific, you know, you get to see what it looks like. Like for the Crypt Keeper, when I auditioned for the Crypt Keeper, it was in Kevin Yeager's studio, and he was working on the puppet. So the texture and everything that I brought to that character um, was partially based on what I saw and partially based on the fact that I grew up with the comic books. And I think some of the other actors had no idea what they were auditioning for. You know, they're looking at it going, be careful what you ask for. You may get it. They go, this is terrible. I was like, no, no, no. This is Shakespeare to this guy. He loves it, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, 
you know, ultimately, when you're doing the comic edge of stuff, you know, you're bringing your own comedy to it. I mean, the Gripkeeper definitely has, you know, my comic timing to it, and that's what I brought to it. But the physical aspects of it are what I had to bring to the character. Um, the beauty of playing voiceover stuff is that I get to, I'm not typed out by my age, my race, my physical sense, or, or even whether I'm human or not, obviously, you know, doing uh, Peach Dragon and playing Elliot was uh, was not easy, but they they thought of me when I came in just because they knew that I do, did that kind of thing. So uh, each one has to be approached differently, but it's a lot of fun. I get to use skill set that I don't get to use on camera. Of course, the on camera stuff, I get to use a skill set that I don't get to use off camera, which is my physicality and my ability to do that kind of thing. But um, it's a real pleasure because of that. So each one is a whole different thing. I, I'll get a dozen things to audition for during the week and you're guessing the one good thing about these days auditioning is is that you you get things uh, sent to your home and you record them at home the one bad thing is you don't have their input right there okay you know to go you know um, this is gonna feel more live action even though it's funny you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. like I went in to do Rick and Morty to play Blim Blam and these guys were really specific about they wanted what they wanted obviously they make fun of movies and stuff like that so they had it really concretely in their mind and then sometimes it's just you're bringing to it what's not on the page and that's that's what I like to think my specialty is is bringing to to something what's not on the page do you have a specific medium that you prefer whether doing the video games or doing the animation or live as far action? as voiceover yeah um, well, the animated films are a lot of fun because a lot of times you're in a room with a bunch of people and we're all like picking different voices to do, like, you know, working for Illumination. We do a lot of additional voices, which is a lot of fun. And people step up and do their version of it, then I step up and do my version mm -hmm. of it. But um, ultimately doing a cartoon series like Cat Dog or something, you have a room full of some of the best voice talent and we're just cracking each other up the entire time. And that's just a good time. You know? Yeah. It's a good time. So. You kind of freaked out. Kevin Yeager originally, didn't you? When you saw it, you did a laugh and you, you thought, oh man. No, he was like going like this. <laughs> like, I didn't know whether he was like, you know, like he wasn't getting the sound because he was doing it on a boom box or something, but he was like loving it. And so he started, he was like laughing, but not laughing out loud. And I started laughing and I was like, oh, it's great. The guy laughs at his own jokes. This is great. You know, I mean, the keeper laughs at his own jokes. And I just built it from there. And it happened in the room the next day. He had me doing it for Joel Silver and Dick Donner in their office, which are two of the biggest movie yeah. producers ever. And I was just like, hi guys, you know, and I did it for them and they were like, okay, we'll see you on the set. And it was that easy. Wow. Sometimes it works that way. Thank you guys very much. These were great questions. I appreciate it. Do we have to be somewhere? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. He was just going, you know. <laughs> anyway. Sorry. Uh, I'll entertain one more question. How's that? Unless everybody got what they needed. We can do pictures real quick. Really, how about that? Excellent. Sure. Okay. Do you have a favorite character that you played as far as voice or live action? Oh boy. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, playing Chimp in the Three Stooges was an awesome one. The Crypt Keeper. Um, you know, the ones that, that st stand out are the ones that I had a great time doing. I love playing Ralph and Reefer Madness. I mean, that was <laughs> that was just more fun than I could ever say. You know, we, I got to do that from a small theater in L.A. to Off-Broadway where we opened five days after September 11th, which was not a good experience, wow. but it was a bonding experience for all of us. And then getting to do the movie as well with a great cast. You know, we had three months up in Vancouver, you know, shooting and partying and having a good time. You know, it was really, really fun. Um, 
you don't get to do that stuff much. I mean, st I've, I've done a lot of stage roles that I, you know, that a lot of most people have never got to see because they were on stage. And you only got to do them live. Uh, Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down was the show that launched my career. I played a stand-up comic um, with Scott Bakula and a guy named Jerry Colker who wrote the piece. And I played a very dark, suicidal comedian that wound up launching my career because Star Search saw me doing the show. And they said, we'd like you to you know, be on Star Search in the first season of Star Search. I'm like, as what, a singer? And they're like, no, as a stand-up comic. I said, well, I'm not really a stand-up comic. And they're like, well, you can win $100,000. I'm like, fuck it. I heard about my stand-up uh, that I'm doing. And, you, you know, beat Sinbad. Uh, yeah. yeah, beat Rosie O'Donnell in the semifinals. And so, but I kept winning, so I kept having to come up with new stuff. Oh, man. You know, okay. so I would do, like, The Wizard of Oz in two minutes and this kind of stuff. And this is what really started people knowing that I did voices. So it really kind of launched my voiceover career in a way. Crazy. So I have to say that's that, that may be like the premier part that I got to play, you know? It's the thing that took me from off-off-Broadway and street performing to mainstream television and stand-up comedy and launching me from a, you know, starving theater actor to, you know, living in a normal house. <laughs> you did, didn't you do some improv with Robin Williams? I did. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he used to work at the improv, any time Robin could just like, would just come in and jump up on stage and, hey, I'm coming up, you want to come up? You know, and I was like, he never invited me before, but you know, but he was kind of cutting in where my spot was, you know, and Rick Overton, who some of you guys might know is a brilliant comedian, he's like, come on, Johnny, let's go up, you know, and so we went up and, uh, the first night that I went up on stage with him, and, and he cut into my act when he was street performing in front of the Metropolitan Museum years before, although he wouldn't have known me at, at all then. You know, I was in whiteface, and I used to street perform for the Metropolitan Museum in New York. But I got up on stage, and you have to pretty much had to go in, you know, Robin's vapor. You had to continue in whatever, wherever he was going. But we we're, you know, Rick and I were, you know, used to keeping our own, had a good time. And then all of a sudden, like, Charles Flesher jumped on stage, you know, and he started playing the harmonica. He really wasn't like it. And then Bruce Willis jumped up on stage. Wow. And um, it wasn't his thing, really. He kind of like, kind of sent the air out. I didn't say that. Yes, I did. But, um, no, he was great. He, he you know, he's just, he was... You know, somebody who is so well-read and so intelligent, and so he could bring all that. You were always afraid to do your act. I mean, my act was very different than other comedians' acts, but I was afraid to do it in front of Robin because he was probably the only guy who could steal it, you know? <laughs> but I don't think he ever tried to steal it. I think he just grabbed from wherever it was, you know? We all respected him a lot. He was, he was you know, the first time I saw Robin Williams on TV, I was like, that guy just took my career. <laughs> it was as way I'd imagine myself being that guy that's just like, you know, the new the new Bobillion, you know. And uh, but it was guys like Robin and, and guys like Bill Irwin and people like that that opened the door for me at that time to do the kind of comedy that I love doing. So, you know, I, I had a lot of gratitude towards those guys. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.